What up? This is Yinka Diz. Peace. This is Outlaw. And you listen to the 80s Babies Podcast. And today we're coming back with part two of our summer recap. And just so you know, it's going to be a bit of a long episode. So we're going to timestamp the subjects. And you can check it out in the description if you just want to skip to a particular album that we're going to discuss. So we're going to start off with the throwback section, talking about things from 89... 94, 99, and then come into the new. But the first thing we should do just right off the top is wish a happy birthday to the Sugar Hill Gang's Rapper's Delight, <laughs> released September 16th, 1979. That's 40 years ago. Yeah, yeah. 40 years ago, the single came out. And it's actually not the first hip-hop single. I think there was another hip-hop single that came out first that no yeah. one really talks about. This is the one, like, this record went platinum. This is the one that was like, hey, there's a new art form it's from the streets it's hip-hop and yeah. we have disco people dancing in the video <laughs> this is the first like big i guess hip-hop hit right with a lot of controversy around it because of you know the writing on it right the individuals right. who contributed to the song didn't write the song um no the grandmaster Kaz wrote it if i'm not yeah, mistaken yeah so it's an interesting uh you know because i've also heard like conflicting reports that it wasn't Kaz and it was actually a lady who wrote all the, uh, oh, the really? lyrics okay. but i mean either way you know definitely like propelled hip-hop as a genre into the mm -hmm. mainstream uh, so definitely shout out to that yeah one of the interesting things about this is that even after this they didn't really do hip-hop albums and mm -hmm. this album that this is on isn't even a hip-hop album right it's kind of like a specialty record and yeah. one of the things that the the netflix show the get down got right is the uh -huh. idea that when they were trying to put something on wax and they were trying to get a single, mm -hmm. they were considering hip hop like a specialty record. So I think it's in yeah. season two when yeah. they're trying to get like the record deal with the drug <laughs> queen pin or whatever. Right, right. And she's talking about making a specialty record. That mm -hmm. is kind of like what this was was about. Yep. So there's other R&B or disco tracks on like, I think it's like a six, six track ep or something like that uh -huh. and rappers delight is the only hip-hop record on there yep from from sugar hill gang it was just it was a really interesting time to try to commercialize hip-hop definitely so just had to, to mention that that's uh, our, our first throwback to the 70s first and last but um <laughs> real quick uh for the 80s we we've got several so in 89 lo cool j comes out with his walking with the panther this is released june 13th yep. 1989 and it's not an album that I listen to, but it's got a few tracks on there that I think are rather iconic. A few that yeah. I really like. So a Big Old Butt is obviously one that a lot of people know. Mm -hmm. But the two for me that I fuck with a lot are Going Back to Cali and Jingling Baby. I love Jingling Baby. Jingling Baby's fire. That's that's the one that I go back to. It's interesting because, you know, it's Going Back to Cali and I grew up in mm -hmm. Cali and all that. But I mean, if I'm going to listen to Going Back to Cali, I'm listening to Biggie's version. <laughs> It's a better Personally. song, but I still Wait. like. I think it was. Um, was it Rick Rubin who produced "Going Back to Cali"? That sounds with right. The, I, don't, I don't know. The way he did with the horns on that, uh, I really liked it. So, yeah. all right. So August first, nineteen eighty nine, from the DOC, his debut album, "No One Can Do It Better." Yeah. And this is obviously before the car crash that pretty much took his voice and ended his yeah. hip hop career. Yeah. But yeah, you have some thoughts on this. This is the one album in this time frame that I like I'll still revisit. I really enjoy it. And I, I feel like it gives me a really good snapshot of like what hip hop was at the time. Because, mm -hmm. you know, here's a guy from Dallas, produced by a guy from LA, 
but the sound is still kind of what we would consider an East Coast sound. And I think it just really yeah, gives bit, us yeah. a portal into like what, what hip hop was at the time. And it's just really dope. It's just a dope project. This was an album that I've only actually listened to a couple times. And I think that I've always kind of struggled with some of the late 80s West Coast sound that still sounded like it was East Coast. <laughs> yeah. So, for example, America's Most Wanted from Ice Cube. Uh-huh. Actually, not a big fan of that album. Oh, um, really? I understand that it's a classic. Uh-huh. I understand that Ice Cube goes hard. He's got a lot of energy. Yeah. It's a good effort. I respect that it's a good piece of music. It's just not something I really vibe with, mm-hmm. personally. So you don't like this album? It's not that I... This is before my time. So yeah. me going back to listen to certain albums that are before my time, some mm-hmm. of them resonate with me. For example, you know, Eric B and Rakim, their first album really resonates with me. Yeah. The second album from BDP really resonates with me. Mm-hmm. There's some projects like that. Mm-hmm. But this one, the only song that really, really resonates with me is It's Funky Enough. Okay. You know, that's, that's the... Um, it's getting funky. Yeah. It's getting funky. Hey, it's getting funky. Yeah. <laughs> that's so fire. Yeah. So, obviously, he's an artist who I respect, particularly Uh when all the ghostwriting that he was doing for the early NWA projects um, and just other artists in general. So it's a a shame, I think, you know, what happened to him because it would have been really interesting to see what kind of career he he could have had. You know, I was thinking about that earlier, and and this is going to sound bad, but, you know, I think sometimes it's almost like the way the world works. Sometimes things kind of happen for a reason in that... um, Mm -hmm. He was a big writing force behind early Snoop Dogg, right? The okay. Doggy Style and and Chronic, and he wrote on those projects. And you know, if he still had a solo career, I don't know that all of those lyrics that we know and love now would have necessarily landed on those projects. And so, yeah. I love Doggy Style. I think it's an amazing album. And if the DOC was still a rapper. I don't know if I would have enjoyed those lyrics from the DOC in the same way. Like I like Snoop, I like Snoop's whole vibe and everything and just the way everything fit. It would have been interesting to kind of hear DOC's voice as a solo artist at the time, but it may have taken away from some of the things that we now know as like the foundations of West Coast gangster rap. You know what I'm saying? You raised an interesting point, one I hadn't thought of, but now it's got me thinking that when rappers write for other rappers, do you think they give them their best bars? The only mm-hmm. examples I can think of were when people were writing for Dre on mm-hmm. The Chronic 2001. Yeah. Eminem was giving him bars. Jay-Z was giving him bars on that record. Like, Dre sounds But even good. The Chronic. They Fair, were giving him but, bars. Yeah, but Dre's lyrics don't impress me on The Chronic. Uh-huh. They impressed me on Chronic 2001. Gotcha. And we all know he didn't write a, a, a single word. And that's right. fine. We're not criticizing Dre. Mm-hmm. What I'm saying is that like, that's one of the only projects where I know someone has had writers uh-huh. and that writer actually gave him legit bars but so for example right biggie uh-huh. writes for kim mm-hmm. did he really give kim bars i don't J-Roll know for but, fox did he really give but, her bars but you hear records like drugs and you're like yo lil kim was spitting her ass off with these biggie bars so i mean they might yeah. not have been the, his very best but they really work and i think in the case of the doc it's a little different because mm-hmm. The DOC didn't have the opportunity to hoard lyrics for himself because he no longer yeah. was able to to come out with his own music at the time, right? Yeah. Because of his voice. So I think if he wasn't giving them his best, where was it going? Yeah, no, that's fair. I just yeah. think it's a good... You just got me thinking yeah. about that question. Like, do rappers who write for other artists give them their best bars? Yeah. I think it's an interesting topic to, to explore. Definitely. Possibly for later. Definitely. So... 
we're going to go on to 1994 and June 7th, we have Warren G's debut album, Regulate, G-Funk Era. I think this was the album that they say, like, saved Def Jam, right? Because um, at the time, like, the, the West Coast really started to take over in music mm-hmm. with Snoop and the Snoop and Dre thing. And then Warren yeah. G, you know, kind of is on the outside looking in and he takes this record deal at Def Jam. And then he becomes the guy. So between this song and uh, this DJ, which I think is also a West Coast classic, um, you know, he also had a, he produced on this guy named Mr. Grimm's record. It was called Indo Smoke. I think that was either in 94, 95 as well. Okay. But um, just a really important album from that perspective, right? Like he's on an East Coast label, which this didn't happen a lot, right? At this time. Frame. Right. He's on an East Coast label, but he's a West Coast act. Him and Nate Dogg strike gold with the, with the Regulate single. And, uh, you know propel them into into 95 as well how is the rest of this album because i haven't listened to it since it came out it's dope but i think a lot of it is kind of you had to be there um okay. in that like i think if you were to go back and listen to it right now you might take you know regulate this dj maybe one or two other records and then probably just keep it moving because that's how we listen to music now you know man regulate was so big i still it remember was. it was that summer when it came out uh-huh. um that was when I was at the um, some basketball camp. I think it was at like the U.S. Naval Academy or mm. whatever. And uh, I remember we stayed in on, in the barracks. Okay. All the rooms they were always playing this song. Yeah. It was just a really really big record. The song was everywhere, and I mean yeah. the, the the whole even the whole monologue. You gotta be handy with the steel, earn your keep. You know, like that. Mount up. <laughs> Mount up. Yeah. Yeah. So I, uh, this was like a record that, like you said, was everywhere. And I remember I was a kid, so I remember I had a couple babysitters, like people who would, you know, take care of us when my parents had to work or whatever. We like, kind of weren't really allowed to watch videos like that, similar to what you were saying. But whenever my babysitters would come over, they would always turn on music videos. And the two music videos that were always on was Regulate and Coolio Fantastic Voyage. Those two joints were just like, it was almost like a 24 hour loop on these music video stations. Here's something I'm curious about as well. Mm. There's an obvious answer to the question. But then there's also a little bit more critical thinking that could be offered as well. Okay. How much do you think that certain hip hop records save the original sampled piece of music? And for some records, it's, it's very obvious, right? If it's mm-hmm. an unknown sample, right. then obviously the hip hop song is going to bring it to light. Right. But then there's other songs that are had legitimate success on their own yeah but then the hip-hop single comes out more and i feel like we only listen to those songs the original songs now because of yeah. the hip-hop song so for so example this one samples michael mcdonald keep, keep forgetting. forgetting and i'm not sure how confident i am that this is a song that we would still hear today if mm. not for warren g's regulate you have any That's thoughts fair. on that uh yeah i think it's case by case yeah. I think in some cases it's how much of the record they used, which they've used the whole fucking record. Here, right, right. Like, right, like right, you right. hear it and you're like, oh, that's if you know if you're familiar with the Michael McDonald, it's it's like mm-hmm. the exact record. Um, but I, yeah. I think you 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 bring up a great point, and I think that's the reason why I'm okay with the the idea of clearing samples, right? Where it's mm-hmm. like you have to kind of find a happy medium between you know you as the rights holder of the piece of music. Is this something that's going to help you down the line where it's going to keep, you know, it's going to help your your music? Or is this something where literally the artist is just taking from you and they're the only ones benefiting? You know, is yeah. it going to be a symbiotic relationship or is it just something that just benefits them? 
Um, so, but I think in the case of this record, I think that's a good point. I don't think you or I, at least, would be talking about this record if it weren't for the fact that it's a part of Regulate. All right, so moving on from Debrat, her debut album, Functified, released June 28th. Yeah. And this is actually another album that I haven't listened to okay. in a really long time. Yeah. But uh, I remember Debrat, when she came mm-hmm. on the scene, was mm-hmm. huge in that single. Yeah. yeah. So, Functified. so, so Functified. Yeah. Man. This record is definitely one of those records that the single was much larger than the actual project itself. But yeah. this is the first album, hip hop album by a woman that went platinum. Was it? Yes, it was. So yeah, it's even so, more so than Queen Latifah. Yeah, I yeah, guess you're right. Yeah, I remember I remember it because I lived in Chicago and was a kid and I will never forget hearing Functified for the first time. I was on a I was a part of this summer program that was like we take black kids from the hood over the summer and we pick them up on Saturdays and we take them to look at colleges and, and businesses so that they don't go to jail. Like I was, I was a part of one of these programs and my mom was a teacher. So my mom was one of the people who like would, you know, chaperone these kids. So she kind of was just like, let me let my kids be a part of this program as well when they're, when they're old enough. So right. I don't even know if I was really old enough to be in this program. Like, I think it was like a program for like middle schoolers and I was like a little elementary kid, but anyway. And I remember we're all in the, you know, in this this big van going to whatever college we're going to tour or whatever. And there's a bed playing and the radio DJ says, you know, yo, brand new artists out of Chicago. So all our ears perk up because, you know, there's not that many artists that's really popping like that out of Chicago. We got do or die. We got twisted. That's pretty much it. Um, Common and Common come out. Yeah, Common is uh, is uh, ninety four. Uh, what's his classic Resurrection? Resurrection, I think, is ninety four. But right, he also right. had Can I Get a Dollar, which came out before that. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken. That wasn't like what we were listening to. Like in like mainstream yeah. hip hop on the radio, it was probably just Do or Die and Twista. Yeah. So uh, so anyway, you know, new artists out of Chicago. Everybody's like, oh, what? You know. And then you know, female artists discovered by J- Jermaine Dupri. You know, we all know JD. Yeah. And then this record comes on, and I will never forget like just the impact, like just me being super on this song. And it's funny because now I go back, there's a lot of kind of discussion in the, the I would say the, the ethos of people who consider themselves real hip hoppers on this era. Everything okay. Jermaine Dupri ever did in hip hop was a bite, right? And there's this- Was a what? A bite, like he was a biter. He came into hip hop and literally everything that he did was him seeing somebody else do something and then essentially copying it. And so like, there's all these examples, but- Crisscross with ABC, yeah, right? Right, et cetera, et cetera. But Functified is the one record that I loved by Jermaine Dupri that I go back and I listen to it and I'm like, this was definitely a bite. I absolutely loved it when it came out, but now I can't listen to it without being like, wow, literally this nigga took nothing but a G thing and was like, let me find yeah. an obvious parliament sample, loop it, and then go back and forth with, with the MC that I'm, I'm bringing out, right? Like, <laughs> I'm sorry. This is like, you listen to nothing but a G thing, you listen to Gin and Juice, and then you go to your studio and you try to make the same song. Isn't there a law in the 48 Laws of Power that just that talks about just copying what other people do yeah, and just yep, put it out and yep. get money? <laughs> but I loved this song and it yeah. was it was so impactful and me personally I can't speak for everybody else and you know laugh if you want but when I first heard this Debrat instantly became my favorite female MC. That's fair. I mean, I was young, obviously, but she was from Chicago. And it's not like she had that much competition. I mean, you know, MC Light was was probably still active. Queen Latifah was definitely active. Uh, Lil Kim. 
but we're talking oh, about well, actually, well, Lil Kim's out. not active yeah, Kim, at the Kim's time. Kim's not out yet. Yeah, we're so. talking about maybe five to ten women versus yeah, yeah. maybe right. you know twenty five to fifty men. Right. You know. But yeah, so I personally have partiality to Debrat. I think she's criminally underrated when we look at the spectrum of MCs. I think she's okay. really dope, and I think this record was so huge that it propelled her album to platinum status. But yeah. You know, there's rumors, innuendo, I don't know if it's true, that Jermaine Dupri also wrote Functify. Okay. And even if he did, DeBrat has contributed enough outside of Functified that I feel like she's solidified as one of the illest MCs, like especially female MCs, you know, to do it. So shout out to DeBrat. I think this album is super important, even outside of the historical context of it being the first platinum album by a, a woman MC. Shout out to the Brett, indeed. Yeah. So we're going to move on to, I'm not necessarily sure if we should call it a debut, but this is going to mm. be the first extended play, <laughs> I guess, that we covered, unless you're yeah. including Rapper's Delight. Yeah. But from Bone Thugs and Harmony, July 12th, we have Creeping on a Come Up. Mm. And the reason why we have to mention this EP, because the two singles that they had on here were fucking oh, huge, right? So yeah. you've got Thuggish Ruggish Bone, and for the love of money, yep. for the love of money is actually probably my favorite Bone Thugs and Harmony. Wow, song. really? Yeah. Well, yeah. okay. Other than some ones that were like on East 1999 Eternal uh -huh. that didn't get like that weren't singles. Uh -huh. Other than some songs like that, yeah. Of their singles, this is my favorite one, mm. and I think one of the reasons why is because it's the one that probably got played out the least. Mm. If you go, know I'm saying like Thuggish Ruggish Bone. <laughs> was was all over the radio yeah, all over the tv yeah i remember the way the video starts out they're like in congress or something and mm. like we don't have any problem against <laughs> rap we don't have any problem against rappers <laughs> but we do have a problem against, against are those, those thugs, thugs. <laughs> yo shout out to tasha and yeah. tasha cleveland <laughs> i'm sorry go ahead but man Bone Thugs and Harmony, they're not a favorite group of mine, but they are a group that I respect. And they had just this ability to just create these intoxicating singles yeah. that were just like, it's just everywhere. Yeah. And this is not an album. This is definitely an extended play, but mm -hmm. we have to get mentioned on it because like when they came on the scene, I mean like Bone Thugs and Harmony, they did something very, very well in terms of like creating their own niche. Right. Not just in terms of their style, but just in terms of the sound. Like no one was doing like these harmonies on the track the mm -hmm. way that Bone Thugs and Harmony was, if anybody was doing it at all. Not only that, you had the harmonies on the, on the hooks, but then you also have like the rapid fire lyrics that other people yeah. are doing as well. Yeah. But... <clears throat> I don't know, definitely a unique sound, I think. Yeah, um, you know, I, I think that it's interesting because I never knew whether to call this an EP or an album, but, you know, regardless, those two records are so big that, yeah. you know, I mean, you can't go without without mentioning that. And they're, they're just so, such iconic singles. I think the, the reason why you can't, you don't necessarily think to either call this an EP or an album is because mm -hmm. I think that most people would assume that these two records came out on an actual LP. <laughs> yeah. They would assume that, like, if you were just like, oh, Thuggish Ruggish Bone, For the Love of Money, those those came out on Bone Thug's debut album. But it's just like, mm -hmm. no, that's that's not really the case. <laughs> because they were just they were just so big that you would just naturally think that that's, that's the way it was. But no, this was just an EP right. that came out with these two singles. And bam, this is before they were on Ruthless, if, if I'm not mistaken. Really? It I can't be, because uh, Easy's on, on For the Love of Money. You might be right. Oh, you know what? They actually they have a debut project before Ruthless. That's what it was. That's right. That's right. Faces of Death. 
Uh, so uh, the next one released uh, July 19th, Coolio, It Takes a Thief. Mm. And I don't have much to say about this album other than I have to give it a shout out just because <laughs> this is the first hip hop album I ever bought. We talked about this pretty, pretty in depth on the, um, the Biggie episode, Ready to Die. But, you know, I mean, this record, Fantastic Voyage, was huge. You yeah. know, it was samples Lakeside. And, you know, mm -hmm. this is another song that was bigger than the album in that, like, this song was so big that it propelled this album in a way that I don't, I don't think people talk that much about the album anymore. And that's fine because the single was just so big. You know, so you bring up a good point because that's mm. Coolio's career. Mm. I can't talk about any of his albums, but I know some of his singles. Fair point. He had some huge singles. Every single one of his singles yes. was a fucking monster. Yes. Every single one of them. Uh -huh. Other than this album, because I bought it. Mm -hmm. I can't name any Coolio albums. I can't <laughs> name any Coolio filler tracks. But I can name a lot of his singles. I mean, like, Gangster's Paradise was a fucking monster. Right, right. Monster yeah. song. Oh, that was huge. It, this is a guy who, <laughs> he was actually a legitimate pop star as well. Like, his hip-hop yeah. singles were so big that they extended beyond the hip-hop community. And they were in the mainstream stations. It's so weird because when you do the history on some, you know, West Coast hip-hop shit, like, he's somebody who actually was, like, a serious artist. And then, like, yeah. they really just kind of, maybe kind of similar to Mace Murder, right? Like, they're kind of yeah. somebody who just turned and just really just embraced, like, okay, I'm, I'm a mainstream artist now? Cool. I, boom. I'm 100% this. Because... Yeah. He was in the Mad Circle. Okay. You know Dub C's first album, Dub C in the Mad Circle. You know good okay. and damn well. I'm not gonna know it. Okay. Is. So he he's he's somebody who was like in hip hop since like the early '90s as like an MC. He's on uh, Raskas's first album, the one that we talked about. Yes, yes, he is. Yeah, yeah. like he's like somebody who was like like taken seriously as like a mm -hmm. hip hop artist. And then, you know, he did Fantastic Voyage and he was out of here. He was like, all right, cool. G give me Lakeside's whole album. I'm about to sample every song they ever did and put it out as a, as a single. So shout out to Coolio. Another thing that deserves mention is I believe it's in the movie Poetic Justice when mm -hmm. Tupac has to go. Isn't it like a, a road trip that he takes with uh -huh. Janet Jackson? Uh -huh. Yeah. And then he gets there to see is it his cousin. I haven't I seen that movie in a while. It, yeah, I don't but he, he gets there to see whoever he needs to see. I want to say it's his cousin. And then he goes into the basement and he's listening to his cousins, or whoever it is. It may not be his cousin, but he's mm. listening to like the demo tapes and whatnot. Right. And then they were going to sell the equipment. He's like, nah, he would have wanted me to have it. I'm going to pursue my music career. <laughs> anyway, the demo tape that he's listening to, that's the voice of Coolio. Oh, I or... definitely remember remember listening to that. So that's something that's that funny. deserves to, to get a shout out. That's funny. So, shout out to Coolio. Anyway. Yeah, shout out to Coolio for real. The next time I saw him was when he was on uh, First We Feast on the Hot Ones, passing out in, oh, their, he, in the studio uh, afterwards. So that's like recent. Within the last few years, yeah. Yeah, oh, that's cool. They said after he finished that episode, because he ate all the wings. He actually passed out? They said after the episode. Oh, after the episode. There was a dumb recording. Okay. He goes into like one of their lounge areas, mm -hmm. one of their little lounge rooms, and they said he passed out for over an hour. Is the food actually super spicy, like Reaper chilies, or it's just like... Do you not watch Hot Ones? Nah. Oh my gosh. Hot Ones is a very entertaining show. It's just people eating hot food? It is, but the thing is, Sean Evans is a legit good interviewer. Oh, they actually interview them? Yes. So what they're doing is, is hot questions with even hotter wings or something like that. Okay. And Sean Evans has gotten praise for being a very good interviewer. And uh -huh. in fact, like, it's funny, right? On one hand, 
each show is kind of like the same mm -hmm. because each guest kind of trips up on the on the same wings. There's always like one wing that they always kind of trip up on. Okay. And afterwards, even though they get hotter, they're okay. Mm -hmm. But the other thing that they do is like, he always asks a couple questions where the guest is like, how did you know to ask that? Oh, like, how do you dope. know about that? And then the guests are always like, man, this is the best interview I've ever had. This happens on several episodes. Like, it's, it's, so, it's, so he's it's, like Nardwar, essentially. Who's Nardwar? This really funny looking, I think he's like a Jewish dude. He dresses like a cartoon character. They even have like an animated version of him. But he's known to, he asks like very probing questions. And he's not just a hip hop interviewer, but what he'll do is like, let's say he's interviewing you, right? And you've been out since, mm -hmm. I don't know, since 2000, right? Yeah. He'll come to you and he'll be like, he'll be like, okay, hey, Outlaw, I've got three gifts for you, right? And then he'll yeah. give you each gift. And then you talk about like what the gift means to you. And like the gift okay. will be like, like Outlaw's first album that he ever bought was Fantastic Voyage. So he'll give you Fantastic Voyage on vinyl. And then like, it'll be something that nobody else knows about you unless they really, really do their oh, research. Oh, this actually so, sounds familiar. Yeah, so he'll okay, give them a gift and they'll be like, oh snap, like, you know, Action Bronson or something. He'll be like, oh snap, like, how do you know this is the first okay, album yeah, I, I ever is, listened yeah. to, you know what I mean? Type type deal. So a really good okay. interviewer on that, that level. Okay, I'm gonna have to go check some of those out. Yeah, he's good. So, but yeah. So shout out to Sean Evans, Nardwar, and Coolio. Yeah. We're gonna move on to August and uh, from Organized Confusion, Stress the Extinction released August 16th. And this yes. is an album that you want to discuss. Yeah. I know nothing about it. So I'm, I'm really mm. curious to hear your thoughts on it. Man, this album is, if not a classic, close to a classic. I think it's a very okay. important album. I think the song Stray Bullet, if you have not heard it, is an amazing song that everybody who's a hip hop head should hear. Okay. And I think this album is is a really dope album. This is the album that gave us Feral Monch. So Feral Monch is one right, half right, of, right. Of, of organized confusion. The yeah. song Stray Bullet, he basically raps from the perspective of a stray bullet. Somebody, you know, does like a drive-by or whatever, the, and the bullet does not hit who it was intended for it hits someone mm. else i'll just leave it at that and and give everybody homework if you haven't heard this song please check it out it's a really dope song really dope album hopefully another time we can you know go a little bit more in depth maybe we'll do like a put you up or something it sounds like we need to do a put you up because pharaoh Mont yeah. isn't someone that i got into obviously until he hit ruckus Right. Mm. And so when I was in my raucous phase, mm -hmm. that's when I got into Pharaoh Munch. He's always been someone that I've kind of gone back and forth on okay. because on one hand, I do like him mm -hmm. and I appreciate hearing him on tracks. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, I think that the folks who, who are big fans of him mm -hmm. rate him a little bit higher than they should. Mm. I don't think he has a lyrical prowess that some people give him credit for, mm. but it doesn't mean I don't think he's dope yeah. because I do think he's dope. I'm just like, yo, kind of tone it down a few notches. I think but you have to be familiar with his catalog, like his actual albums mm -hmm. to rate him that way. And I think okay. it sounds like you're not familiar with like internal affairs and like the album. Well, internal like, affairs. Yes. Okay. That's the main one. Yeah. Internal cool. affairs. I remember when that came out, I think I, I think Koi bought that and I mm -hmm. borrowed it. I sat on that for like two months. So mm -hmm. yeah, I'm definitely familiar with internal affairs. And then like the one that has desire on it, the album title might be desire. I don't even remember, but that okay. album is incredible. And I think he just, I put him up there with like a Busta. Like okay. as somebody who like really, really just understands the technical, you know, uh, he's a technician as an MC and really mm. commits all the way 
to like, you know, flow and delivery and puts himself in the character of where he's trying to go as an MC. I think he's like, he's like a hip hop method actor. Like he's just, oh, yeah. he's okay, really, really dope. And I personally think he's underrated. And I think that most people who talk about him, it's, it's very, if you're not really familiar with his albums, like even from the perspective of like deep album cuts, not just like yeah. Simon says, get the fuck up. You wouldn't rate him that way. I think that's a fair take. Yeah. Ultimately, as a hip hop artist, he probably is underrated. Mm-hmm. But for the heads who are familiar, mm-hmm. I just think that they rate him a little higher than mm-hmm. I would. Mm-hmm. But I do think he's dope. Yeah. He is somebody who I like. Yeah. Anyway, so the last one from 1994, we have a <laughs> personal favorite of mine. Yeah. From UGK, Super Tight, released August 30th. And have you listened to this? Because I know that the main UGK album you know is Riding Dirty. Yeah. But how familiar are you with uh, Super Tight? I'm familiar with this album. This is probably my favorite oh one my on God. the list here. Like, I will still listen to this album. Man. So let me let me start by saying that we talked in the Biggie episode about how problematic that album was before we went on to praise <laughs> it uh, and lavish praise on it. Yeah. I think that Pimp C is probably my favorite, most problematic artist of all of my my problematic artists that I enjoy. I think that's fair. Um, Pimp C, like, I mean, I Left It Wet For You is my favorite record on here, right? And, like, it's just so problematic. Like, I just feel like... It is. His subject matter is is, is super problematic, but I I love this album, and I love UGK as a group, one of my favorite uh, groups. Man, I'll tell you what, listening to this album makes me think two things. One... Mm. Pimp C deserves in the conversation for best producer on the mic. Mm. Belongs in that conversation because yeah. he's producing these records. Yeah. He's got a few co-producer credits right, on a few right. of them. But I mean, songs like, you know, I Left It Wet For You. I mean, that bass is It's whew. amazing. Yeah. And innovative. Yeah, man. Pocket full of stones. Yeah. Front, back, side to side. Yeah. Stone Junkie. The Return. I mean, and even him on the mic. Mm-hmm. When I talked about my top 50 or whatever, and I did the tiers, I think mm-hmm. that I was putting Pimp C in my fifth tier. But, mm-hmm. you know, maybe he belongs in there. But, man, I understand he doesn't always have some, like, the lyrical qualities that some of our favorite MCs do have. Right. But at the same time, too, he's so fun to listen to. Yeah, I was going to say And that. I pay attention yeah. to everything he has to say. And I, yeah. at some point, like... If I'm gonna say Tupac is a tier two MC, if I'm gonna mm-hmm. say Scarface is a tier one MC, and they're, they're deservedly so, mm-hmm. I think that I've been probably kind of slagging on Pimp C from the lyrical aspect mm-hmm. a little too much, and mm-hmm. he's dope. Yeah, he's a dope MC, and I have no qualms with putting him on the same level as Bun B. When you talk about the sliders, right? Like, well, like one of the yeah. things I was saying is like, you know, there's just kind of different sliders, and 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 how you weigh your sliders has to do with how you would assemble your top 50 MCs, right? Yeah, yeah. One sure. of the sliders sure. is personality, and I feel mm-hmm. like Pimp C, if he's not the top guy when it comes to personality like like Snoop Dogg for example is another guy who I would rate higher than just on his lyrical ability just from personality right oh of course and like like he's just so enjoyable as as an MC like I I really just enjoy his personality on on a mic so much to the point where the problematic shit he's talking about like (laughs) it might bother you it actually doesn't bother me and I'm not I'm not saying that it shouldn't so if you you know Uh if that's a bad thing for me to say fuck it whatever but like Uh He's just so likable yeah. on the mic that, like, yeah. I don't really give a fuck what he's talking about. <laughs> I will listen to anything he has to say. Yeah. He's got that much charisma and personality Facts. on the mic. 
and this album is just fucking dope. I think it's crazy that, you know, I mean, we talk about the time frame and, you know, rest in peace, MC, right? He's no longer with yeah. us. But even like, in, yeah. you know, in his later chapters, some of the, these interviews, MC would absolutely be canceled in 2019. Like, we would have had to cancel his ass. <laughs> we would have canceled him in like 2017. And you know who wouldn't give a shit? Is Pimp C. <laughs> oh, he would oh, yeah. Still continue no, no. to put out everything he wanted uh, oh, to put out. He's like, it's Look. great. And, it, and I, I think I would have enjoyed Pimp C even more now because, <laughs> yeah, because, so. because Bun B has kind of become this like, like godfather, elder statesman in hip hop in a way that yeah, Pimp C yeah. never would have been able to. Nope. So, literally, nope. every Bun B interview would have been him cleaning up some shit Pimp C said the day before. <laughs> and I think I really would have just enjoyed the two of them in like this era if we were able to have both of them and their personalities. Do you think there should be a UGK if Pimp C were alive today, given what you just said? I think wow. that's an interesting topic to explore. That's a good point. I think, honestly, um, I think Pimp C and Bun B respected each other in a way yeah, that you don't sure. see a lot of artists respecting each other in a way that yeah. it, it, they might have still been able to persist. Like, yeah. you know, like, for example, Outkast, right? So Outkast yeah. doesn't still exist because because Andre doesn't want to get together and, do, and, and put out music together, right? But right. like, if he did have that desire, Outkast could still exist because those two men just respect each other in a way that like, they give each other space when they when they need space and want to go in different directions. They could come right. back together and do it. And I think UGK is similar in that way where like, you know, sometimes Pimp be out here on a ledge and Bun would just respect <laughs> it and be like, yo, that's Pimp C's ledge. I'm not gonna <clears throat> I'm not gonna disparage him. Those aren't my views, yeah. those are Pimp C's views. But I'm not gonna sit here and try to walk them back because that's how he feels. And I think you would have to do that in order to for them to still be able to persist in like a 2019. So I think it's possible. Yeah. I think it's possible. But I think, you know, similar to Outcast, there would be situations where Pimp C's all the way over here and Bun B's all the way over here and we just have to respect it for what it is. All right. So that's going to wrap it up for 1994. Yeah. 1999, starting it off, we've yeah. got Ja Rule's debut album, Veni Vedi Vici, released yeah. June 1st. And this is something that I've got my opinions on, but I'm going to let you start. I've discussed this time and time again, even when we created this show as a record that I wanted to do a whole episode on. Is that right? Okay, yeah. we can do that then. Um, yeah, I actually really like this album, and I, I get why Ja Rule made the pivot that he did, and once I heard him and Irv Gotti talk about it, I respected it more. But, yeah. you know, I like this Ja Rule. What I will have to say is that this is not an album that I listened to actually until recently. Mm. And I'm glad that I did not buy this album because I think if I did, it would have made me a fan of Ja Rule. Yeah, I bought and it. And if I became a fan of Ja Rule, his yes. turn would have disappointed me okay. even more than it already did. It did disappoint me a lot when he when he pivoted like that. Like yeah. and and you know, I think I also I came from a crew of people who who were fans of this when when it came out. So, you know, when he took his turn and then all of a sudden he was a pop R and B artist, yeah. we really, really panned him in a way yeah. that actually um when I now go back and listen to those records, I think to some degree was unfair. Like some of that music is actually not that bad, but we just right. hated it so much that it was just like, yo, all that Ja Rule Murder Inc. shit is trash. It's all trash. We're all not trash. gonna listen to it. And I mean, like you said, had he not put this out first, I may have been like, yo, there's there's one or two records on this this pain is love, but like I didn't even give it a chance. The thing for me too is that 
sometimes it's like, look, there's a clarification that, hey, mm-hmm. we recognize these are pop songs, so they're trash as hip hop. Mm-hmm. But in my opinion, I didn't even like them as pop songs. Mm-hmm. In fact, I think that pop in general from like the late 90s to the early 2000s was pretty god awful, in my opinion. Like the Justin Timberlake and Britney, like I thought all that shit was just trash. But I'll give you period. a perfect example, right? Put it on me. The mm-hmm. record that featured Vita and, and Little Mo, the remix version. Okay. That is a good piece of music. And like, I'll, I'll rock that. I'll play that at a party right now and people will go crazy. Little Mo killed that joint. But like, I was just so just, ugh, just averse to everything that, that was this Ja Rule rebrand that like, yeah. I just was like, oh, this is cool. But I, I was like, this is some mainstream whack shit. Like everything he's yeah. doing is mainstream whack shit. I'm not even going to embrace it or listen to it. And so that's what I'm saying. Like, I I didn't even give a record like that a, a chance that I would have played it in my own system until more recently. Yeah. Okay. All right. So moving along, June 22nd from Missy Elliott, we oh, had man. The Real World. And yeah, this is a dope album. Yeah. This is my favorite Missy Elliott album. And so okay. I want to give the caveat or, or clarify that I am saying my favorite. Other people may feel mm-hmm. that she has a better sure. album or they may have other favorites. But this album to me it was ahead of its time and underrated yeah. for what it was. And this is the album that made me be like, okay, so th- this is a time frame. We talked a lot about like there's shit that's mainstream and there's shit that's underground. We're going to talk about Loot Pack next. So then I can talk about how yeah. I was I was into super wordy, backpacky rap about rap. And Missy was considered other then. To the point yeah. where, you know, Common ended up having to come back and apologize to her this same year because he mentioned her on his album when he was name dropping all the whack shit in the mainstream. But mm. this was an album that I was like, okay, look, I'm solidly gonna die on this missy hill even though other people are saying oh missy that's mainstream hip-hop you know what i'm saying i mean it might have been mainstream hip-hop but who cares yeah i think hindsight is 2020 on that you were solidly in a camp where if you were listening to raucous you were looking at other shit and being like that shit is whack i don't embrace it well for me specifically yeah I didn't listen to these albums, mm-hmm. but I still liked the hits and singles that I heard. Mm-hmm. I just wasn't going to go buy the music. And this is one of the differences between 20 years ago and today. Mm-hmm. That, you know, for me to go on Spotify mm-hmm. or Apple Music or whatever and listen to an album that I, I normally wouldn't invest in, it's easy. The now. only thing it costs me is yeah, my time. Exactly. And if I'm at work or whatever, really, it's just the only thing it's going to cost me is a little bit of distraction to the work that I'm doing. Mm. There's no additional cost. Mm. Whereas back in the day, I had to actually invest my money Facts. in something. Yeah, which, I love you know, that. Maybe that's one of the reasons why... There's so much wax shit. <laughs> not only that, but maybe that's one of the other reasons why we hold some of those artists so dearly is yeah. because we actually we invested, invested in them. Yes. Yes, we really did Facts. invest in them. Because if you, you invested more time in them as well. Yes. Because first of all, you had to be selective about yep. the music that you were buying. Yep. And then because of that, you put more of your time into that because yep. you didn't want to waste your money. Exactly. And so, look, Missy Elliott was not an artist that I invested in okay. back then, other than what I had on the radio. Mm. But I liked the singles. I just wasn't going to buy the albums because yeah. 
For me, Missy Elliott wasn't something that was going to teach me about the music that I wanted to make. Mm. I wanted to make super lyrical hip hop that had dope flow. Yeah. So around this time, give me anything ruckus. Mm. Give me, you know, let me go back and buy Life After Death two years later. Yeah. Give me Wu-Tang projects that are going to have some crazy flavor on it. Like, that's what yeah. I want to invest in. You know, the closest yeah. that I got to investing in, like, the commercial side would have been Busta Rhymes. Busta, definitely. I think for me, though, everything Timbaland did was so interesting to me. And so yeah. if Timbaland was a part of any project, my interest was peaked even if I didn't love the artist. Yeah. There was an Eminem joint on here. I was loving Eminem at the time. There was a Redman yeah. joint on here. I was loving Redman yeah. at the time. So these are artists, collaborative artists that are, are coming in that I also have a lot of respect for. So, so Missy was going to get my ear regardless. And then when I heard what I heard, I was like, oh, no, I have to buy this. You know what I mean? One of the things that when revisiting this album, it made me want to think about is like i actually kind of want to go back and revisit a lot of the other projects from female artists that came out before this mm -hmm. particularly as it pertains to the word bitch because mm -hmm. that is the theme throughout the album like obviously you have she's a bitch mm -hmm. which i fucking love that song yeah that everything about that song and video yeah it was fire. Is amazing i, I love yep. it there is not one negative word you'll hear me say about that song mm -hmm. but that's not the only time bitch is referenced on that album. In fact, the whole she is bitch theme is like constant throughout. Mm. And there's even the interludes from Little Kim where she's talking about, hey, we want to take ownership of this word and people don't like it when we say it, whatever. This is what it means to us. And I'm curious how instrumental this album was to how that word is used today. And one of the things we would need to, to see is like, okay, how is it used before this album? Mm. And then, of course, like, did this album actually cause a pivot? Because now, like, I hear this word all the time now. There's mm -hmm. the queen bitch. There's the boss mm -hmm. bitch. There's the bad bitch. It is what it is. And mm -hmm. when I go back to revisit this album, I kind of get the same feel of, of how that word is conveyed. The song Queen Bitch predates this, right? Sure, sure. And I don't know that I feel like this album is the reason that the, that or, or, or contributed to that. It may not. That's why yeah. I said it made me want to go back to explore to see, uh -huh. you, you know, to put it in context, to see if this is something that played a role in how it's used today or right. if not. It may not be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. Interesting point. All right. So next, we're going to get into an album that I've not listened to, but mm. you're big on this. This is uh, released June 29th from Loop Pack. We have Sound Pieces, The Antidote, and this yeah. is Mad Lib, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, this is Mad Lib's, uh, I guess, was it their debut? I think it was their debut. But anyway, okay. this is how I my first learning about Mad Lib. I loved this project, and I tried mm -hmm. to put so many people onto this project. But for me, like, this was air quotes real hip-hop right like this yeah. was like you know some dudes they had a dj which is interesting because madlib himself is kind of a dj but they had a dj dj roams okay and then you know they had um it was just super lyrical you know wordy i mean literally it's like 20 songs just rapping about rapping basically over you know just the the dustiest dirtiest most underground loops you know they would just find these loops uh these gems i mean and you know how madlib is now we all we all kind of yeah. know madlib oh, yeah, back then back then madlib wasn't so well known so i, I really right. really just liked what they were doing in terms of their sound is this worth to put you up it might be but but you aren't a huge fan of like just rapping about rapping and i feel like the lyrics on this project would bore you very quickly like I think you would like the production, but I don't know that you would be able to sit through 20 songs. It's just like, I mean, 
The singles, the singles called "When I'm on the Mic," and literally it's just "When I'm on the Mic." I like to this, this, that, and they're doing like little routines and they're talking about what they do when they're on the mic. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, are you gonna listen to 20 songs of that? I don't mind rapping about rapping. One, if the lyrics are dope. Mm. Two, if you're over a good beat, and three, if your flow and delivery is on point, right? So when I listen to Black Thought rap about rapping, I'll listen to that shit all day. Okay, this is not like Black Thought is like a generational, generational talent. talent. Right. This is not even close. Like actually, Madlib. So Madlib rhymes on this, and okay. Madlib is you know, I think he's he's just as good as the you know the lead vocal talent on here. Right. Okay. So that's the level of MCing we're talking. I've never been impressed with him as a lyricist, but you know it's okay. I don't hate it either. I, yeah. I don't care about Madlib as a vocalist. I care about him as a producer. This record has the Liquid Crew on it, right? So it's got okay. Tash and, and and all those cats who you you know I was a huge fan of. It's yeah. got Dilated People on it, and so at the mm. time like Loop Pack and Dilated and Liquid, like this was, I think the record's called Liquid Fusion. Okay. But like, so this was kind of like a crew of like these, these like underground-ish MCs from California. And so mm -hmm. this album fits squarely in that, that sound and that movement, which I really enjoyed at the time. So that's why this album was so important for me. Okay. Well, a big one to come out in July from Gangstar. We have full clip, A Decade of Gangstar. This is released July 13th. And this is an album that I actually wanted to do a tribute for. Yeah. But two things. One, my computer was messed up, so we didn't have time to record. But the other thing, too, is that I thought this album was actually came out in 2000 because mm. this was an album that I was listen, listening to a lot in the summer of 2000. So I just okay. got it messed up in my head. Mm. But yeah, this is this is a big one. And at some point, we need to dedicate an episode to doing just a Gangstar episode just because yeah and this would have been the perfect album to do it I think the one thing about this album that I would say lends against it is that it's kind of an anthology album it is you know uh, absolutely and, right and so like it's it's I mean we love it it was definitely very educational for me because this was at the mm -hmm. time when I was you know maybe a year two years or so into really being into hip-hop to a point where like I was just consuming anything I could get my hands on. And so, right. you know, Gangstar as a group that, you know, we're talking about a time frame where, like you said, you had to invest in artists. Mm -hmm. So we would hear about these legacy acts or these, you know, these artists that like, you know, were the shit, but like we would still have to save up our pennies mm -hmm. to go out and buy these albums and listen to them. So, you know, yeah. this album gave me an opportunity to hear all the old Gangstar stuff, you know, in terms mm -hmm. of like highlighted, highlighting different records. And so I think it really helped me to be a fan in the same way that EPMD Out of Business, which we'll also talk about, uh, that also came out that year, uh, did as well. So it made me like a bigger Gangstar fan. I was able to, you know, connect with some records that I may not have been as familiar with. This was my introduction into Gangstar, was this mm -hmm. album. I had heard a few of their songs, but this was my actual introduction to like, hey, I'm making it a point to listen to Gangstar. So, and then obviously yeah. after I bought this, I uh -huh. went back to go buy their, their previous, stuff, previous stuff, except for No More Mr. Nice Guy. I didn't, I didn't buy that one. You know yeah. what's funny about this album and funny about how nerdy I was at the time with this music shit, like literally, I knew about Gangstar. I was I was cool with them. You know, like they weren't my favorite group because Guru wasn't my favorite MC, right? Right. However, the first song features Big L, rest in peace. And yeah. I was such a big Big L fan at this time. 
that I literally bought this album just because they said Big L rest in peace at the beginning of the album. Full clip, I yeah. like the song just because they shout out Big L at the beginning of it. Now, Full Clip is a dope song. I love the song. It is. But it is. Um, it's just funny that I'm like, oh, Big L rest in peace. Let me buy this album. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that was actually the first time I'd heard about Big L as well. Oh, yeah? Was was on this, yeah. Okay. Was that Big L, rest in peace. peace. Rest in peace. So you mm. mentioned this album mm. just now, the EPMD Out of Business. And this yep. was, that was actually released uh, just a week after, July 20th. So yep. that's a good transition. Yeah. And this is not an album that I listen to other than the hits. The EPMD album I listened to was the mm. back end business. Okay. Yeah. This album kind of, in a way, put me on to EPMD, you know? like Oh, okay. We, we had talked about um, Def Squad, El Nino. You know, mm-hmm. so I was I was familiar with I loved Eric Sermon already. I was familiar yeah. familiar with EPMD. I knew some of their records, but this is another you know the special edition of this album, where the deluxe edition was an also an anthology, where the second disc was all of EPMD's legacy classics. Right? Yeah. The song that put me on here was was the symphony. I heard the symphony. Okay. You know I love Posse Cuts. It has Method yeah. Man and Red Man on it. It does. Um, yeah. It introduces me to Lady Luck. I'm also somebody who will die on the Lady Luck Hill. I love the Lady Luck. I think that Lady Luck is one of the like the wasted kind of talents of of that generation in that she was so ill and Def Jam had her and she just happened to be there at a time where, you know, it just didn't work out and her album never came out. But she murders this song and she murdered mm-hmm. every other record she was on in this short period of time when she did features. So love that posse cut. Loved this album, and then it also introduced me to a bunch of older EPMD, and it made me go back and listen to a lot of their other, you know, music. Okay. So, from Memphis Bleak, is this his debut album, Coming of Age? Yes. Okay, so this is released August 3rd, Mm. and yeah, this is another album that I did not listen to, and Mm. I don't really have any plans to listen to this. So, this album, I think I might have highlighted this and said we should talk about this. Um, yeah. This album, to me, might have been the most disappointing hip-hop <laughs> album that I've ever heard. Okay. In that, at this time, you know, so Jay had already come out with the Blueprint. Uh, I mean, not the Blueprint, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, uh, Volume 2. Jay-Z volume had already two, yeah. put out, you know, In My Lifetime, Volume 2. Loved that album. Became Jay's huge fan, went back, bought all of Jay's albums, was, you know, loved volume one, loved Reasonable right. Doubt. Um, mm-hmm. And Memphis Bleak to me is like the Josh Gordon of hip hop, right? <laughs> like he's a guy okay. who's just like, like he has all the natural gifts. He's given these, he's given chance after chance. He's He has the perfect situation, the perfect setup. And then like, you just realize that you want it for him more than he wants it for himself. So like, Do you think he's got the lyrical talent? Because I don't. I see flashes of it. And then and then I see other situations where I'm just like, seriously, dog? Like, that's your bar? Like, that's what you decided to do? But, like, a cat who can come on a record with Beanie Siegel, who's who's ill, Jay-Z, yeah. who's ill. Like, these are, these are some of the best people to ever do it on the mic. He can get on a song with these guys and not sound like he's out of place, right? So if you have the talent to be able to get on a song with, the, with talents like that, and not Mm -hmm. sound like you're trash or out of place, then that means that you have the talent to be, to create pieces of of music and records that are on the level of those individuals. You have access to the same producers. You have, you know, to me, I think he has one of the illest voices in in hip hop history. I love Memphis Bleak's voice. Um, 
you have the same setup, the same apparatus in terms of record label, and then you put out a record like Coming of Age. This shit is so whack, yo. It's so bad. And it's like, and it's also weird because, you know, we talk about records that sound like dated, like they sound like a, a time frame. <laughs> Yo, if you ever listen to this record, you're going to be so mad. You're going to be like, yo, this shit sounds like 1999 so much. Like even <laughs> all remember, the worst things about all 1999. All the worst things about 99. Like remember the um you know, this is around the time when Swiss Beats had 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 made his way. And so, yeah. you know, you're starting to hear these Swiss Beats records and his kind of trademark is the duh, 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 using a right. using a scratch as like a percussive instrument, right? Like mm-hmm. it's like that's on every single song. Like these keyboard records that it sounds like it took Swiss ten minutes to make are all over this album. Like it's just, oh, this is such a frustrating piece of music. And I, as somebody who you know, I hear certain other albums like Nostradamus to me is one of the most disappointing albums that I ever heard. I remember hearing it and just being like, I love this this artist. Like Nas is one of my favorite artists and he puts out something that's so disappointing like like Nostradamus for me coming of age was almost equally disappointing because this was fi- he finally had an opportunity to put out an album Jay-Z's been telling us about how he's going to retire for like fucking 3 albums and make and make mm-hmm. Memphis Bleak his heir apparent and this yeah. is the opportunity for Memphis Bleak to show us why Jay-Z wants him to be the heir to this Rockefeller throne and this album is absolute trash. The one thing I have to <laughs> challenge you is the idea that Memphis Bleak has all the tools, because I don't mm. think he does. Mm. Yeah, it's one thing to step on a track, on a ready-made track that's got a dope beat True. with dope artist, mm-hmm. and contribute your energy to the point where I don't mind listening to you, it's mm-hmm. cool. Mm-hmm. There's another thing to come on to a track that is just for you, you have to come up with your own song and put your yeah. own lyrics on it, and that's it. I don't think he had the talent to carry a solo project because I don't think he's all that lyrically talented. And mm. it's the difference between being a supplemental piece and being the 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 main piece. And I don't think he was ever the main piece. Have you heard his other albums? I actually bought Made. Yeah. Is Made bad? It's probably not a great record, but it's got songs on there that <laughs> I enjoyed. I did buy it. He's got flashes of 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 brilliance. Like um I get sure. high, rolling down the I nine five. That is a great record. Like he's um what's the other one? Smoke the pain away. Like he he's got mm-hmm. records where you're like, yo, this guy the, could do could do it if he wanted to. The one that made me buy the album was around here. Around just here is fire. Is yeah, finest, yo. It's that like just that. Blaze, though. Yeah, it's like that. Another record that's like a yeah. great like party record. Um do my do my run it. Like he's got records that tell you to me, he shows flashes of being an artist that is worth us talking about. And yet we're spending way too much time talking about this project because it's absolute garbage. And that's what frustrates me so much about Memphis Bleak. Like I wanted to like this project a lot and then I got it. I, I actually, this is one of the few albums that I bought without... I didn't go, I didn't listen to singles, I didn't do... The minute Coming of Age came out, I went to the store and bought it. Yeah. And was so disappointed. (laughs) Yo, Bleak, come on, man. (laughs) It just amuses me so much because when we had this, when we put this on the list, Uh I had nothing to say about this album. And I was curious 
what you were going to con- and because mm. my thoughts around this album without even listening to a song from it would just be like yo this is bad this yeah. is, has, has to be a bad project <laughs> so listening but to that's you in rant, hindsight like, like oh yeah that's but that's in hindsight yeah but i'm but i'm saying my point is listening uh-huh. to you rant about this is like okay yeah this is about what i would hope yeah. you would have to say yeah but in 99 <laughs> like we didn't know he was and I, i'm not gonna say he's whack that, that's bad because i don't think he's whack in 99 okay. we didn't know that he didn't have an album for us we we yeah. I, it's almost like if nas did live at the barbecue right mm-hmm. took the world by storm live at the barbecue now everybody wants to know what this guy has to say and illmatic yeah. was coming of age yeah and let's let's make it even more insulting right he does live at the barbecue right and then instead of naming his album illmatic he names it live at the barbecue <laughs> <laughs> so, so the expectation <laughs> yo he named his song coming of the the album coming of age which is named after the song that we know him from that we were so excited about him from and then he delivers a subpar product it's so frustrating Ugh. all right anyway i'm sorry that's why i put it on the list because i'm still mad like i want memphis bleak to give me my 12.99 or whatever it was that i paid for this <laughs> album i want it back like i want all the all the investment all the me going to the schoolyard every day defending memphis bleak and saying that he's dope and saying that eventually he's going to give us a body of work that is worth the caliber of MCs that he's he's among and it just never happened like and i think 534 is a decent album i think made is a decent album i think what's the album that came out before made i actually enjoyed it it might even be my favorite project by him um it's sad that i don't even remember the name of the other album. don't ask like, me to remember this it, you know it, it, the one that has to. is that your chick on it and 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 all those records like you know but his albums typically are 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 good or or listenable and it's not even necessarily because of his contributions like he'll he'll have Mm. albums that you enjoy but the moments that you remember enjoying are a a lot less about him and a lot more about everything else that that are on them and it it almost feels like like josh gordon i want memphis bleak to be great more than memphis bleak wants memphis bleak to be great and that's the most frustrating thing i think the the two differences on how we see Memphis Bleak is one, you know, Memphis Bleak never helped out my fantasy team. Josh Gordon did. <laughs> and even if he may have ended up disappointing in the in future teams, uh-huh. you know, there's a buyer beware, so you kind of knew what to expect. But like when Josh Gordon was helping my fantasy team, he was helping my fantasy team. But when you dra- yeah, when, when he was drafted and brand new to the NFL, you did not know that smoking weed was more Fair. important to him than than football. Was. I know, I know, I know, I know. But the other <laughs> yeah. thing too is that I am not upset with Memphis Bleak's career. His career seems right around the line where Memphis. But Bleak's that's hindsight. Be. In '99, you didn't yeah, know that. Yeah, no, but I've always felt that way about Memphis. You're lying. I've always, you're, Bleak. you're lying, I, dog. No, I've never really. The been first a big fan time you heard Memphis Bleak, and I don't know what song would have been the first one you heard. You were like, "Oh, All this right. guy's mediocre." So the the first time I heard Bleak was on I think it was Reasonable Doubt the track okay. that he's on yeah Coming of Age <laughs> and I thought he was I thought he was dope there yeah all the other times I heard Bleak I was like this guy's not dope mm, that's okay. why I didn't go buy his album because I was like this guy's not that great okay he's fine and then I found out and then it was quickly it was like I think before Volume three. three. Cause this came out after it was two. Really, it was, yeah, it was around that time. It mm-hmm. was before I got to college. Mm-hmm. I was made aware that Jay Z wrote Bleak's verse, or was mm-hmm. was 
suspected of writing Bleak's verse on Coming of Age. He so did write like, it. Okay. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. So then once I found that out, I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah but I mean, yeah. again, right, like now that we know all that, like, you know, years and years later, it's easy to dismiss him. But I'm trying to put I'm trying to put us back in the frame of you've heard what you've heard, but but Memphis Bleak has never dropped an album. You're saying that you you had no interest, you know, no, prior because to that. you heard him on features and he and was, was good on like, features. Yeah, I didn't think so. OK. I, I, yeah. I'll, I'll agree to disagree there because I, I, I thought yeah, he was fine, he yeah. was good on them and um I think he was bad I just didn't think he was what I thought you were great. about to say was that word of how bad coming of age as an album was got out pretty quickly because it really did like it, it, this is back in the day where like you said you had to invest fifteen bucks in an album so like people helped each other out by if you if you were the asshole that bought coming of age i'm the asshole that bought yeah. coming of age and, and 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 the shit was trash you're gonna let all your friends know that it's trash so they don't waste their 15 dollars and they spend their 15 dollars somewhere else so yeah. i thought you were gonna say the word got out pretty fast that the shit was whack because i think it did no, i just <laughs> didn't have any interest in, in in bleak but you also should know that i didn't have that much interest in jay-z at the time either other than the hits mm. I mean, wait, fairness, when volume two came out, you weren't interested in Jay? my brother bought it, though. My brother bought uh, it. So I was listening to it kind of secondhand. OK, I was still more invested in, in Wu-Tang and most deaf mm -hmm. and learning about Nas and Biggie. I didn't learn about Jay-Z until after probably my senior years when I actually went back to go and listen to Jay-Z to Jay and get all those things. So. Anyway, so moving on from the Beat Nuts, we have Musical Massacre released August 10th. And yeah. I was excited to go back and listen to this yeah. because I used to listen to this all the time when I was in high school. Mm -hmm. And going back to revisit it now, I don't know why I liked it as much as I did. It's not bad, <laughs> yeah. but there's a lot of songs on here that I'm like, why did I like this album so much? Yeah, I would agree. Um, this was for me, and I can't speak for everybody, but this was around the time when I was really heavy into you know what we what we do all the time now which is like you know creating mixtapes where i find certain songs that i like and then put them all together and and yeah, there yeah. were multiple songs from this project that i would put on mixtapes sure. and that's the reason why i remember it so fondly is because the records that on here that are good are really good are amazing um, yeah yes. the, the production is amazing on those records yeah. and i i enjoy them as mcs i think you might enjoy juju more than i do i um, had to take i take that back I uh, I was wrong to put him in that tier. Okay. Not, I don't even think okay. he might be a sixth tier. I don't know where I got the idea that Juju was good. Yeah, I, I honestly don't. I, I wouldn't put either of them in my list of of, of MCs. Yeah. But but yeah. I enjoy them. Um, yes, and I, do enjoy I enjoy them, some yeah. of the features. Like I really really enjoyed Cocotazo, where Tony <laughs> Touch comes on and Tony Toca, Esta Loca. <laughs> yeah. So uh, so I, I enjoyed this album, uh, but it it ha it always had way too many songs on it, and it was yeah. always an album that I took the the cream of the crop, and I mm. I left I left the rest on the cutting room floor personally. That's probably the same thing for me too because mm. when i revisit these projects a lot of times what happens is uh, this is what happens with docs the name mm. that there were filler tracks that i skipped back in the day right that i hear them now and like wow this was dope i don't know why i skipped this mm -hmm. whereas the filler tracks that i skipped back in the day mm -hmm. i had every right to skip them back yeah. in the day. you know and i yeah. think i was just surprised to mm. be made aware of that so yeah, still a dope project. The highs on this album are amazing. Yes, Sakabo. I the love that song. Joint with Greg Nice. The um, uh, turn the, it oh, out. Hold on. 
Turn It Out, the other one that they had the video for, the Watch Out Now. Watch Out Now was um, amazing. Uh, oh my God. And amazing. then um, the other one I really loved was, uh, was Beat Nuts Forever. Oh, oh yeah, Beat Nuts Forever. Uh, that's a dope track. Yeah. And then the other one with 2000. Story oh, 2000. Story 2000. Yeah, I enjoyed okay. that back then. Yeah, it's got a dope beat. That's from uh, the Chaka Chas. Yeah. The Jungle Fever. Yep. That's a good beat. Yep. That's a good I song. enjoyed it. So. Um, that's going to wrap it up for 1999. The only other project would be Murder Music from Mob Deep, but yeah, we, we have an episode on that. Yeah. Yeah. So Calmont's uh, on that episode. All right. So moving along to 2019, we're going to go into more detail about some albums that we didn't discuss on part one. So to start it off from Gold Link, we have Diaspora released June 7th. And I thought this was a good project. I enjoyed it more than I enjoyed yeah. his previous ones. Really? Yeah. I thought it was good. Um, I like the idea of this album more than I like the album. Um, I, <laughs> I, I, I really like the idea of kind of trying to highlight, you know, the different cultures and sounds throughout the black diaspora. And so I, I'll just leave it at that. Like, I'm actually a Gold League fan and I like, I like all his previous projects. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that there's songs on all his previous projects that I like more than the songs on this. But, I think uh, that might be fair. The one thing I liked about this is, that, and I remember when I listened to this the first time, I, I texted you. I said that, you know, Goldlink is doing his best Drake culture vulture impression, <laughs> but I'm all the way here for it because I, I like the way he executed it. Mm. I mean, look, he's got a lot of sounds from Nzanzi, right? He's got mm. a lot of that South African flavor mm. that still holds a place very near and dear to my heart mm. just because I love that region of music. It's something that I don't think is highlighted enough. Mm. And it's something that still kind of saddens me the way to hear the, how they've kind of deviated from that to go more towards a hip-hop and commercial sound when they yeah. had something i thought was just was great so for him to explore that region as effectively as he did on some some of the songs here i, I enjoyed so yeah i don't have anything else to add to it than that other than it was a project that i liked yeah same so now you highlighted this next one from chris brown we have indigo released june 28th and yeah. what did you want to discuss about this because chris yeah. brown is not an artist that i listen to yeah don't listen to chris brown at all um I, okay. the only reason I, I wanted to bring it to the forefront is that we previously talked about people finding ways to scam the system um in the streaming uh, economy and okay. i think chris brown is the number one you know subject when it comes to that so you know chris brown gives us another 40 track album here first of all just looking at 40 tracks is exhausting to me and so i feel like that's enough work for me i'm gonna go ahead and close my browser um, so okay. even if I had wanted to listen to a Chris Brown album, when I saw that it was 40 tracks, I probably wouldn't have listened to it. And, you know, I just figured you might have some thoughts about <clears throat> people using this strategy of just putting out a shit ton of music to try to, to game the system and, and, and get high, high record sales and numbers. It annoys me. And yeah. when I talk to some of these younger kids about mm -hmm. this market manipulation that's going on, mm -hmm. You know, look, market manipulation might have always been a thing, you know, because even when we're talking about Ready to Die, right. it's like, look, you know, we all know the story. Biggie wanted to do a record that was 100% hardcore. And Puff said, hey, look, that's all well and good, but let's scale it back to 85% because I need 15% to, <laughs> right. to sell your, your hardcore record. Right. And that is a, that's the notion of, of market manipulation, and that's fine. Right. But they didn't sacrifice the fucking music. Mm. And I think that when I try to highlight some of these areas, like, look, they're using psychological tricks to manipulate you into giving them money. Mm. And you're kind of responding to this. Like, it is what it is. Like, let's just call it what it is. Mm. And so when you talk about, you know, an artist making 40 tracks, 
and, and, and look, and in fairness, I've not listened to them, so maybe he's got some, some good songs on here. I don't know, because Chris Brown is not an artist that I listen to, but mm-hmm. let's remove Chris Brown from it, and let's just talk right. about any other artist that's doing this. It's fucking whack to me, yeah. but, you know, it is what it is, and this is the music that we have to listen to now. We just have to find our place in it, you know? But yeah. I think that there is a, you know, we can be respectful to the point where we don't have to trash all the music and, and that's cool. Mm. And we should not trash all of it because not all of it's bad. And if mm. they enjoy it, then hey, clearly these artists are doing something right. Mm-hmm. But at the same time too, I do think there is a space for us to be nostalgic of music for music's sake and some of the things that we appreciated about music in the past. Yeah, And it just, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. I just think, I personally think that, that the strategy of, of, of quantity over quality is, is kind of whack. And, um, you know, I... I hope for, uh, you know, a, a time frame where we can get back to, you know, rather than trying to, you know, no press is bad press, trying to find ways to either game the system or keep your name in, in the media as much as possible in order to consume people's attention. You know, I hope for uh, the ability for people to actually really just spend time perfecting their craft and trying to make great music. I agree. So we're going to move on to a project where I think the musicians are trying to do that. And from Dreamville, we have Revenge of the Dreamers 3, released July 5th. And I just listened to this project last night and Mm -hmm. I enjoyed it. Uh, Not every single song. Mm -hmm. Um, It does have, I think, over 20 tracks on it. Yeah. But... um, I gotta say, the way this album starts, like the first couple tracks are bangers. Yes. Bangers. Yes. So my thoughts here, I don't say this very often, but this is a solid I told you so uh, on, on this <laughs> album. Um, yeah. God, J. Cole's been having a year. God, J.I.D. has yeah. been having a year. God, Ari Lennox yeah. has been having a year. God, yes. Earth and they Gang added has been having a year. God, even Boss has been having a year. Like, literally everybody... I'm sorry, Kaz, for not mentioning you. You haven't been having a year, but you should be having a year because everybody <laughs> else on your roster is having a year. You guys even had your own festival where you brought yeah. to North Carolina, you brought a hip-hop festival. You have a documentary where you locked in some of the hottest artists of this of this you know time period for 10 days and you made this amazing album and you put a documentary together about this album i am just when i said j cole was gonna have a year j cole had a motherfucking year these guys have are having a year and so that's what i want to say about this album i enjoyed it but it's a wow like everything coming full circle one of the other things i appreciate about you is when we talked about j cole's projects from last year and mm-hmm. some of the things that you wanted from jid j cole mm-hmm. dreamville mm-hmm. in 2019 he's like hey you know i think the label is coming together the only thing they need they need to do is add you know uh, some gr- female talent yes uh, uh, uh you know a female vocalist <laughs> yes. and they added ari and lennox they added ari lennox and, well yes. i mean she had been there but they highlighted ari lennox and she Wait, has so been she's always you. been on dreamville because she's ari lennox has been around for a minute i think she's been associated she- with them at least since last year i don't remember when she got signed. Oh, Okay. She was associated with him for a while. Yeah, yeah. I'm a fan of uh, of Ari Lennox, yeah. so I'm glad that the, I I wasn't aware that she was with Dreamville. Yeah. But when I was listening to the project, I was like, wait, she's on more than a few tracks. She's not just a feature. Yeah. And then my friend was like, yeah, like she's part of Dreamville. Yeah. Like, oh wow, like Yinka called it right. Exactly. So, Yo, I, yeah. I I just love what they've been doing this year, man. So this is definitely a, an album that if you guys haven't listened to it, we both strongly recommend it. Yeah. So we're going to move on to uh, July 12th from Inspector Deck. We have Chamber Number 9. And this is 
you know, getting into an area of something that, you know, I think that Yinka and I should do more of, um, or we've been doing it, but to continue to do. And that is like when, you know, artists from the 90s come out with albums today, we should at least spend some time to talk about it. Mm -hmm. And he's putting out good music here. Mm -hmm. um, and, I, and I do think it is good. I think it, you know, the last project that I heard from Inspector Deck was the one that he did was, was Our Face and Ghostface Killer. Mm -hmm. And I think Inspector Deck is, is stronger on here. One of my criticisms from him on that project was that he doesn't have the flow that he used to have. Right. And I, I still kind of feel the same way. He's got bars on this project. He's definitely got bars. The thing, though, is that Inspector Deck used to skip around the, the beat a little bit. Mm. Not as well as Biggie, but he didn't have the same cadence from start to finish. Right. And on this, like, he literally goes and has the same cadence pretty much throughout, like, an entire 16-bar verse. And I'm like, mm. Deck, you're, you're better than this. You know, on yeah. one hand, some of the beats are probably a little too slow for you. I think you need to, to, to bump it up maybe like a, maybe like five BPMs mm -hmm. so we can really get that, like, you know, the, the darts that you used to throw. Right. Right. Um, but he still has bars, and I was encouraged to hear that from him. So I was, I was happy with this project. And it's something that I'm going to revisit because I think he's got some good material on here. That's what's up. Yeah, I haven't heard so it, I'm not so sure if, I don't really have anything. Nah, that's, that's fine, but uh, I wanted to shout that out. So yeah. we're going to go on to an, a, a project that I know you have heard, and mm -hmm. this is from YBM Corday. The Lost Boy released July 26th. Mm. And yeah, this is an only an album that I listened to one time and I listened to it a while ago. So your thoughts are probably more fresh in your head. So why don't you tell us what you thought about this? Um, I mean, I haven't listened to it again fairly recently because I, I listened to it around the time it came out. Um, and I was just generally pleasantly surprised. Um, I'm, yeah. I'm happy to that we have an artist that... Um, you know, I mean, he definitely has his turn up ratchet shit like like that sounds like everything that's out now. But, you know, yeah. also able to give us like coherent, lyrical records where we can understand what he's saying. And he's actually talking about something and we get insights uh, to, to who he is. Um, yeah. This album actually, to, it, to some degree, threw back to me to um, remember I came on on the podcast and I said that kid IDK, he used to go by JIDK out of DC. He yeah. had an album. Um, it, it was actually the name of it was something similar. I don't remember what it was called. It might have been like Who is JIDK or something. But anyway, this album kind of reminds me of that. He's he's a better lyricist than IDK is, but self-reflective and, you know, he's actually rapping here, you know. Um, yeah. I really enjoyed yeah. it and I really appreciate folks in this era that don't necessarily have to do that doing that. I also think that he's someone who has a better ear for music than I anticipated. Mm. Um, he's got some good beats on here, yeah. and I think he knows how to use them. Yes. And, you know, maybe I shouldn't be surprised because there were a lot of projects that he was on when we were talking about, you know, the spring. Mm -hmm. And, like, I, I kept seeing his name pop up. And I liked those projects that he was on, so it probably mm. it shouldn't surprise me so mm. much. But he's someone that, you know, I'm going to go back and revisit this. Yeah. And I'm going to be, you know, looking out for more of his projects in the future because mm -hmm. I was kind of surprised that he was able to put this together like this because I yeah. think this is a solid album. You know, one thing I will say also that I, I, I kind of like about both him and IDK, they're both from the DMV. Mm -hmm. And here and there, you kind of hear it in their music or they talk about it here and there. But it makes me think that, man, if if the DMV could like really unite on some music shit, like if yeah. you look at the talent in this time frame, Ari Lennox, Masego, uh, YBN Corday, IDK, like 
you know, there and, and I'm just na- that's just like the top four that I'm ta- I'm just talking about right now. Gold Link, you know what I'm saying? But yeah. if you took a lot of these cats are like standout talents currently. And if mm-hmm. they could like kind of band together and, and work together more, like I feel like people would give the DMV more props as an area that turns out talented musicians. Uh, I don't know. What, do you, what are your thoughts on that? I need to go and look at some of the production credits and seeing two things. One, the artists that they're working with from a musical perspective, right? And obviously mm-hmm. Masego, he's making a lot of his own music, yeah, so yeah. he's going to be an exception, right? Mm-hmm. But I know that Gold Link went out to LA to kind of start yep. his music yep. career. And I'd be curious where the other folks are doing that and where they're getting the artists that they're working with, mm-hmm. where those producers are from, and where they're doing the recording. Because mm-hmm. I don't know that much about the recording culture mm-hmm. in DC. I, obviously, we have one mm-hmm. because you are making music here. You, mm-hmm. You've had studio time here. And I know, you know, the, the, the Diamond District and, mm-hmm. you know, Wale was doing his recording here as well. Mm-hmm. I'm familiar with that, but I don't know how strong it is, is is my point. It feels very siloed, you know, and I mean, mm-hmm. I'm, I also don't count as much because I do a lot of my, my own recording and mixing sure. and stuff, right? But, um, but you know, there are certain records out there. I think, I think Midi East is one of the studios out there. There's a few of them, but like we talked about on the Atlanta, ep- uh, when we're talking about Atlanta, Patchwork, right? Patchwork is a studio mm-hmm. and everybody passes through Patchwork, even the story that I was talking about with uh, Young Jeezy, where Young Jeezy's selling drugs out of the studio, right? And T.I. comes <laughs> yeah. in, right? That was at Patchwork. So, you know, you have great talent moving back and forth, right? And and in a yeah. way that I don't know that there is a studio or a couple of studios like that in D.C. where people are passing in and out and, and collaborating with each other and hearing what each other are working on and et cetera. And, you know, maybe that's something that needs to happen. DC is also a very interesting place in yeah. the terms of like as close as everything is and as easy as it is to get around is actually quite confusing sometimes. It seems like um, people don't fuck with each other. I'm going to just keep it a yeah, beam, right? Like I can see that. I remember when Wale was really popping, right? And like when I this was around the time that I first moved to DC. And, you know, I would talk to other artists in the city, no names, but, you know, everybody had their, like, fuck Wale story. And, you know, yeah. I get that in some ways, and, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but in some ways, Wale's not the most likable guy, right? Like, okay. he he has had his, his demonstrated struggles with, with others. Mm-hmm. But, like... In a way where like Atlanta's like the, the opposite, right? It seems like everybody from producers to artists, like yeah. it's like it's like, oh T.I. Oh yeah, I love T.I. Yeah, he blah 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 blah. He did this. He did you know, oh yeah. well future. Oh yeah, I love future. We he did X, Y, and Z. And like when you hear DC artists talk about each other or, you know, things like that, like in the scene, I don't see a lot of cohesion. You know, if if it's like no. this person does their thing over here, this person does their thing over there. And, you know, I don't know how, how to rectify that, but I think, like, D.C. would benefit from being a more united, having a more united up-and-coming music culture. I would agree. And, look, there's a lot of transitions right now that are going on in D.C. Yeah. Right? The most obvious one is gentrification, but it's not just that. Mm-hmm. I mean, Go-Go is coming back into the True. city. Muriel Bowser is intentionally trying to get more Go-Go in the city. Yep. So long as it's tasteful and there's security and all that shit, right? Mm-hmm. But... Mm-hmm. You know, I was talking to a guy who was in a go-go band and he was saying that like, look, these go-go bands aren't what they used to be. Like, yes, Mm. the names of the bands are the same. Uh uh, And there's some members who have been consistent throughout, 
but a lot of the times though some members will hop around to, to different bands now of course you know this is me repeating what somebody else was who was in one of the bands had, had told me that like there is this not the same thing but my point though is it like it feels almost like people are kind of doing a lot of things so like let me just kind of come up on my own let me do what's best for myself mm -hmm. let me lay the groundwork for my own career and then maybe we'll see what else is going on it doesn't seem like there's an us against yeah. the world mentality that you kind of need like the detroit you know? versus and, everybody thing or yeah yeah and I think that, like, right now in North Carolina, you, you can kind of have that. Like, especially if, um, like, okay, like Compton, right? Like, mm -hmm. when NWA came out, mm -hmm. it was very much a, a us against the world thing. Yeah, for sure. And I think that when, for DC to come out, you know, we had our go-go thing. And we were very mm -hmm. much into go-go, and that was it. Mm -hmm. So for a hip-hop artist to kind of come out in spite of that, mm -hmm. like, the DC stations were playing everything from... Atlanta yeah, yeah. to Houston to New Orleans to New York to the to Oakland and LA and mm -hmm. the Midwest. Mm -hmm. But they weren't the only local talent they were playing was was go go. And even mm -hmm. then only for like specific periods of time. Yeah. I don't think there's any one thing that you can point to and say, hey, that's the problem. Let's fix that. I don't know what it is, but you're right, there is an issue. I think one of them is the the DMV politics, right? Like first of yeah. all, I, I make the joke that it, it's DM. Right, like yeah. DC don't fuck with Virginia, Maryland don't fuck with Virginia. Like it's like, oh, yeah. you're from Virginia, oh, you ain't really from the DMV. You know what I mean? So yeah. there's that, right? Yeah. There's that those politics, and then there's like kind of inner city politics where it's like, oh, you from Northeast? Oh, you from you from this? You know, I'm from uptown. But I don't think that's the issue like it used to be because mm. of gentrification. I don't think the districts mean what they used to. And then Maryland, like you know. That people have mixed feelings about it. Like some people are like, oh, PG is DC. And then some people are like, nah, yeah. that's not DC though. That's like just PG right. over there. You know what I mean? The so like DC proper. What is DC yeah, proper? Yeah, DC what proper. And then so, yeah. you know, those are just like inner people politics. And I don't mm -hmm. know how those politics impact the studios and the radio and all the apparatus that it takes to release music. But I'm sure it has to because I see it and I'm not even from the DMV. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I wish I was kind of more in tune to some of these artists because then I can actually talk to them and get more per their perspective. Um, I think we're making good points, but it also is kind of conjecture because I, yeah. I don't really know. I'm just kind of speculating. I think on, Panama on, would probably be a good person to talk about it because I think yeah, he's maybe. kind of he's kind of floated in, in the what I'll call the industry of D.C. probably yeah. a little bit more than you and I. Right. All right. So moving on to august uh released august 9th from mers and ninth wonder we have the iliad is dead and the odyssey is over <laughs> i like this project um i thought thought some of the beats on it were, were pretty good i thought mers was solid but you know i have to say that listening to mers i kind of get the same idea that i did listening to little brother all those years ago <laughs> in the sense that he he's someone who really prides himself on being you know, the student of the culture and pushing hip hop forward and trying to right. hold on to what we loved about the music in the past, right? Mm -hmm. But real talk, let's say Merge came out 20 years ago, I probably wouldn't have been a fan because I think that at some point you can have bars and you can have a slick delivery, but it also has to be entertaining as well. And it's not mm. that his, it's not that he's not entertaining, mm. but you can't kind of remind me of like 20 other people that yeah. all of whose names I kind of forget. That's interesting. And when we talk about like someone like when like when most stuff comes out, right? When Common comes out, even Guru, they sound so unique that I have no problem placing who they are. Mm. And 
you know, in that sense, maybe it's a little bit easier for them to be unique, unique voices. But I think that there, there's like a, there's like a style of hip hop that people kind of try to sound like mm. to make it seem like they're real hip hop. And I'm like, <laughs> no, you need to go away from that. That's the yeah. reason why you're not big because mm. you keep trying to sound like what you think real hip hop is. Mm. I think listening to this album, and it's probably part of the reason why I didn't listen to it, or, or at least not yet. Um, listening to this album devoid of the context of what made Murz and Ninth Wonder work would mm-hmm. probably yield the result that you're saying. The Murz yeah. and Ninth Wonder thing is a is a child of the the Justice League era, right? Right. So you know we're talking. This is when Ninth Wonder and Crisis and all these people are producing Little Brother. But then after Little Brother, they start to work on all these other projects. And so you get Sean Price and, and you know, Sean Price becomes kind of a star out of this camp, you know, mm-hmm. and, and the production kind of sounds a certain way. Um, and, and this is a throwback MC that's kind of giving you this like vintage hip hop feel over samples that are chopped a certain way, you know, rapping a certain way. I love Sean Price. Yeah. I don't really know what your thoughts are about Sean Price, but he's on the list of people that I need to go dig into. OK, so, so I've, I've, the, the bits and pieces are good enough that I'm like, yeah, I need to I need to, I need to check out more from him. Yeah. I, I, I love those projects. But um, so, you know, in, in that same vein, you had Murs, who's a West Coast MC, but the Murs and Ninth wonder you know projects are a combination of that sound with the west coast mc kind of giving his his take and his flavor he's telling his stories um he's also you know this is blog era uh rap so this is a time frame where you're getting your first people who are kind of relishing nerd culture you know like he has a record called asian girl where he raps about how he's like dating an Asian girl and how, you know, she likes comic books and anime and all the shit that he like, you know? So, I mean, it's kind of a relic of an era. And I feel like when you take it out of that era, I don't know if it necessarily works. And that's why I haven't heard this yet, but I have, I feel like I understand your criticisms without even hearing the project. Well, and then my criticisms come from responding to some of the things that he's had to say about music and musicians within mm-hmm. his own music right mm-hmm. so i always just kind of feel like whenever i hear people talk about like real hip-hop and there's kind of like an angst against whatever else is not real hip-hop i'm always yeah. just kind of like look you know take a look in the mirror and look at your own shit and ask <laughs> yourself are you really different than what other people did like i mm-hmm. I, I just i hate the idea of and, and this is not even a criticism on Merce. it's just mm-hmm. listening to him made me think this right mm-hmm. but I, I just hate the idea that like we love something so much that we feel that everything we do going forward has to sound like something to be real. And I'm like, no, like <laughs> that's not why I like most death. That's right. not why I like Wu-Tang Clan. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That, mm-hmm. That's not why. That's, that's not why I like Common and The Roots. Mm-hmm. You know, these are still all very unique talents with unique voices that made unique music. Mm-hmm. And they, you could tell that they were being appreciative of the music, Yeah. you know? And so to me, like, mm-hmm. I appreciate folks who like they can recognize what is there and they're like, hey, I'm going to do my own thing and flip it. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that more. I'd much rather hear that. So I, I think if you hear Merz's, um interviews, you would feel mm-hmm. a little bit different about his perspective, because I think while he does, sure, while he fair. does do a lot of the whole like real hip hop and, you know, we got to make sure it doesn't die and all that like types of type of music. Um, yeah. When you hear his interviews, he's actually one of the more like. Uh, 
accepting voices of his generation. Oh, okay. Like he, like he, does, okay. he, he actually, um, I think he works with hip hop DX and he does okay. like a lot of those little like kind of commentary on the culture videos and stuff for hip hop DX. And a lot yeah. of times it's like, Whoever else he's talking to is is like, yeah, you know, get off my lawn, fuck these kids and their mumble <laughs> rap, you know. And then like, he's the one who's usually like, well, actually, you know, I, th- I feel like there's some some good here, and you know, yeah. he kind of breaks it down. So it's interesting. It, and it wasn't even a criticism to Mers mm-hmm. um, specifically. It's just whenever I hear that stuff, it kind of makes me think. Yeah, it, it just kind of it, it puts these thoughts into my mind. Right, I did like the project, and I thought he was good on it. But at the same time, too, it's just not something that I'm going to care about all that much. Mm. But I, I I have respect for what he did here. Yeah. So. All right. So the next one we're going to discuss is a yacht rock two from the Alchemist, uh, released at the end of the month, August thirtieth. And what do you think about this? <laughs> this is going to sound like uh, get him to the Greek. Um, I just like that this exists. Yes, um, it's I not, do too. I probably will only listen to this album maybe two more times. Um, yeah. Yacht Rock, the original one. Have you heard the first one? No, I've not. I loved it because it was literally, it was it was two songs. It was like side A and side B. And it was like mm-hmm. just like a 13-minute Yacht Rock record that Alchemist chopped up. And then like it had like twins and like all these cats from this Mob Deep era like on one side. And then like, you know similar MCs that are his collaborators and he just like let all of them action Bronson etc just all of them like rap over it on one side and then a second song that they, they all did it on another side I really like the idea of this project mm-hmm. I like that it's kind of like its own lane um, yeah. and I and the, I thought the artwork was also amazing I like how he kind of yeah. you know he actually really turned this into an album and I thought I thought that was dope I enjoyed it what about you I love the jazz influences, particularly from the late 60s and early 70s period. Mm-hmm. You've got like some stuff that sounds like George Duke, Weather Report. Yeah. You even have some things that sound like Stan Guest when he was in his Brazil period. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was really, really cool. And I think as a fan of music, mm-hmm. these are the kinds of projects you should be seeking nowadays, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah. Um, so like you said, when you say that like you're really glad this album exists, I am as well. Yeah. Um, the last bit of, that I'll add to it is that um, I thought Rock Marciano has some bars on here. Oh, yet. man. Rock so, Marci is, is nice. He always has bars. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but yeah, this is a good project. And this is another, I will revisit this as well because yeah. I, I liked it. All right, so that should wrap it up for uh, another episode. Um, that should do it for our, our summer recap. Yes, sir. And yeah, the next one that we'll have for you guys is uh, Most Def, Black on Both Sides. So I'm really looking forward to that one. So Yes, this is going to be a good week because I'm going to have that album on repeat all week. <laughs> Word. All right, guys. Peace. Peace.